0: Welcome to this week's episode of Innovator Speaks. Our guest today is an entrepreneur who has grown through the grassroots of developing various businesses from the age of eight. She is currently a business consultant through her company, Lofty Goals. Earlier to this, she successfully built and ran her upcycling clothing brand, Rhetorical Factory, as a creative director and the owner. She also worked as a creative director at a healthcare tech company, Ilu Miu. She is uh, highly passionate about helping local small businesses in Greenville, South Carolina and Asheville, North Carolina. She's Bethany Adams. Bethany, thank you for agreeing to be interviewed for our podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Yes. uh, So tell us your story. You have done a ton of stuff. How and what were the stories that pushed you towards entrepreneurship?
1: That's a good question. Um, It pretty much comes from my fascination with life and my curiosity about what is most important in life and basically why we're here. So I've always been very observant and also interested in participating and seeing all the different ways there are of doing one thing. So I guess that perspective and curiosity is basically what guided me through my career and my creative life. I started making things when I was really little and I just loved, you know, knitting, making things with clay. Um basically whatever materials I was given, I was really passionate about making something out of them and I was always developing processes to be able to make a lot more than I needed or that led to sell, selling those things. And then as I started building an identity around that process of design and creation, I started being you know, talked to as a young entrepreneur. And so I saw my place in the world as, wow, this is an amazing time to be alive. It's an amazing time to be a woman. It's an amazing time to be into starting your own business because there's so many tools and there's only become more and more tools as I've grown up that make it possible to represent yourself in the marketplace. And since there's more ability to do things by yourself, there's more opportunities to learn. So that path has just basically kept me occupied and here I am now.
0: That's awesome. So uh, you, uh, I see that you mentioned uh, uh, in your page that you started business at the age of eight. So what was that business and what were the things that you, uh, you know, pivoted on and who were your, uh, uh, you know, motivators? Who, like your family or what was that like?
1: Yeah, I think it was my family, uh, my church community at the time and my teachers at school they all purchased what I was creating, which were clay figures made from polymer clay that you can buy at the craft store. And I would create like characters with them. And I usually made them focused around holidays. So I made like Christmas trees and snowmen and, Santa Clauses and holly and different things like that. And so it was a kind of a jewelry gift type business. And I would, my mom was the one who said, you know, you could sell those. And she said, I'll help you make business cards. And we'll even make an order form. So we made an order form with one of each example. And we left that in the teacher's lounge at my elementary school. And she was a teacher as well, so she had access to the teachers' lounge. And throughout the day, teachers were filling out what they wanted. We sold them for four dollars a piece, whether it was earrings, a pendant, or a necklace, and or a pin. I guess these are all very teacher, '90s teachery type jewelry and decorations. But you know, very wholesome and cutesy and I was so thrilled to have something to go home and make. So I went right home and turned on the magic school bus and set up an assembly line where I made the components one at a time and then connected them to each other. And I was, I just had so much fun with that. I remember our church had a sale that year and I was in fourth grade. I was, you know, like eight, nine years old at this time. And I remember just getting all set up and feeling very proud of all of the extra creations I'd made to sell. And I don't think I sold a whole lot, but that's just kind of the beginnings of taking myself seriously. It grew from there, as far as I made a connection with a local gift store. I remember it as my mom being me being like. I think I could sell these in the store and my mom encouraging me to do that and her taking me in, but also she wasn't really a salesperson herself. So she just kind of took me in and I approached the salesperson. I lived in Idaho at the time and I'd made these sort of jokes, like potato people on little magnets that someone could put on their fridge. And they were just kind of Just silly little things like something I had seen in the gift shop and thought was, you know, something I could do myself. So it just kind of developed from there. And there were like spuds, two two little potatoes with like a cowboy hat and a pitchfork, and it said spuds on them. And then there was one that had like glitter and a sash, and it was a little brown blob that said Mrs. Spud on the sash or Miss Idaho or something like that. Um, so it was similar, you know, similar to that throughout my youth. I kind of just kept those clients and kept branding myself and working on what my name would be. And eventually I hit on the name rhetorical because it encompassed a lot. And I felt like I didn't know what it was that I exactly would want to make or do with my life and all my curiosity and passion. but. I needed a brand so I did start branding it at about when I was about 10 or 12 so I would have been in like heading towards middle school
0: with that wow that's really cool yeah so it's a you were always working on projects that would eventually kind of take you towards the fashion set of um you know uh, products so that Mm -hmm. makes sense I mean especially at a young age when you get Uh, your product validated uh, be it the pins that you made for your teachers or things like that when people say no I like to buy that that's really cool because uh, that's really important for an entrepreneur right Uh, one is building a brand but having that user feedback uh, where people say I really love that and being ready uh, and on your toe to go get it out there into the market that's really nice So, yeah, you brought me to the next question on Rhetorical Factory. Why Rhetorical Factory and uh, what were the motivations behind the venture? Uh, I understand it's an upcycling uh, fashion brand.
1: Right, yeah. It did become the vehicle for my recycled clothing company and upcycled fashion. Um, I guess what happened was as I got older, I started focusing less on my own personal world and i learned more about what was happening in the entire world and the globe and i found out that some of the products i enjoyed were made with supply chains that were exploitative at some point whether they used you know sometimes child labor or sweatshops as people would call them or if they just were mining resources that were going towards a product that wasn't going to be used or useful for as long as those resources would have been useful in their original form. I learned that there needed to be a product that we could feel good about. And while I wasn't really in direct access to any sort of materials that would be able to create something from scratch and still be ethically sourced, I started to look more towards reusing things that were left behind and i thought a lot about that brand what's the brand why do people want to have uh tommy hilfiger at the time was one of the brands that i saw marketing themselves as something to wear just based on their logo and that was really fascinating to me so the rhetorical idea fit that idea of taking clothes that already existed and changing their identity taking their old labels off fixing what might be wrong with them and then adding a little piece of art which was something that i would take a picture of and make a screen print of and then add by hand to the clothing and then i would relabel it with rhetorical factory clothes um, labels that i also made from recycled fabric and things that i got at goodwill and At first, the question mark was on the inside, but as I got employees, they started putting the question marks on the outside and convinced me that, oh, people want to wear it. It's a cool thing. And it was interesting how I had to make concessions towards a more popular way of doing things and all along the way decide how much do I want to participate and change the environment and how much do I want to participate and be successful in the environment. So that was really the theme of the whole struggle um or not the struggle but the the push and pull with growing and scaling that business um so rhetorical factory came from the original name rhetorical of being kind of open ended and then factory came from feeling like a one woman factory when i was just screen printing a bunch of things in the line and coming up with efficient ways to do this and really what came out of the ethos of the project was question everything we used that question mark and that question what is rhetorical factory as a catalyst to have a conversation about what we are doing with all of these things that we're making and all of these products that are filling up the earth so basically it was kind of my vehicle for all of my creative ideas. It was an opportunity for me to learn about business by participating in it, which is how I learned best. And it was kind of a statement. So I built it the way I wanted to with no compromises. And I saw how it fit and didn't fit the current way of doing business. And that was really interesting.
0: That's awesome. So this is a very similar to uh, the circular economy concept. I think you might have heard of it where uh, you're trying to build a business which is sustainable. uh, But also, you know, it's not something that uh, you're going to change the world type, but you're at least trying to seed an idea into the people that uh, they finally start moving towards such brands which are more sustainable. So that's really that's nice. Exactly. Uh, so what are some of the hard challenges you faced in setting a rhetorical factory? I think you mentioned you were very young when you started it and uh, you had to get all the stuff and who were your team members? So yeah, how did it all happen?
1: One of the biggest challenges was being the age I was Because I wasn't used to being an authority figure and I wasn't very comfortable with it. So I had to learn how to motivate people to do what I wanted them to do. And that was something where I, in the past, I hadn't had to, you know, put that definition between myself and another person, especially somebody who was much older than me. Um, Because I was 25 when I had my store. So I had to employ contractors that were older than me. That was kind of interesting because they just were not expecting for me to be the person to tell them what to do. Like they would enter the room to come to work and they'd just be looking around, looking above my head, like for the person with the instructions. And that was one of the biggest challenges throughout the expanded phase of Rhetorical Factory was reckoning with that kind of thing what it really means to be in our modern society and just the things that we take for granted it wasn't in all cases it wasn't malicious but there just were certain things where i realized that everything you know certain things were going to be much harder for me because of my status and i think that led to a lot more introspection about what i want to participate in again that same question of how much i want to participate and change and how much i want to participate and be successful and i did have to make a choice to stick with my values and my brand and not be pushed out of the conversation just because of the difference in what i had to say and the difference in my priorities i wanted to play a new game. And that was met with opposition from the local government and the building owners that I had my store in. And um, I'm being a little bit vague, but basically they would negotiate contracts with me, but then give me contracts that were not what we negotiated and be surprised when I didn't want to sign them. And when I didn't want to do that, they didn't want to have me in that position, So it's getting a little off track, but I guess that is really where the conflict came in. Before that, the only conflict was just that I was so full of ideas and so focused on getting every next step built and done that I didn't make much of a life outside of Rhetorical Factory. So that is a huge thing I wish I had learned is how to rest and relax more while still dealing with a big project that you're passionate
0: about. Right. That makes sense. Like, especially when you're young and you're starting out, you do have a lot of people that will, uh, you know, uh, may have that ego that, uh, how is this possible? Or, you know, the government not getting things done at the right time. So that makes sense. Um, well, what would your advice be to budding entrepreneurs who you know, who want to build such sustainability-oriented brands?
1: Just stay true to your mission and your values. Have a mission statement that you can come back to to make all your choices so you'll have integrity. You'll be able to hold your head up high no matter who you come across and what their impression of you might be. Just hold true to that. And the people who see you for who you are and who you are intending to be will come to you and support you and then you'll see how much value there is in what you're really offering there's lots of people that try to push you to be a certain way and a lot of that is based on their own ideas and their own sense of creativity and what they would do if they were the one doing it but they're not you are so stick with your mission and your values and just know that no success will be as great as every tiny little success
0: that comes from that authentic place. That's awesome. So I've been taking notes, vision, mission. These are really important stuff. I hope the listeners are taking notes. These make a lot of difference, especially someone who is very young, probably just got out of school, right? Uh, So when building a brand such as a rhetorical, what would you look for in individuals to be a part of your team? One thing is to be an entrepreneur, but to push the company forward, you need a team of people, right? So what would you look in them?
1: I think I look for people's quirks, like look for what makes people different. Um, It's important. It's important that people are stable and and have a good routine with themselves, have a good self-image and a certain amount of confidence. But if they have a certain way of seeing things that is different from mine, that's going to be really valuable. And basically also, so if I have a whole team of people, I'm going to want somebody that's really analytical and able to work things out in their mind and come back with a new idea or a new approach and a solution. I'm going to want somebody who's really social and keeps up with what everybody has going on whether it's in their private lives or their stuff that's going on with work, I do want somebody who can kind of keep the flow and keep things maybe humorous and positive, but not distracted, still motivated to get things done in the right direction, but somebody to kind of keep the social ties together. And then I want somebody who can be like empathic, I guess would be a word for it, but it doesn't have to be quite that, that, Um, maybe introverted is also another good word like somebody who I can depend on to be there and be listening and to be observant who who I can call on when I want a perspective that reflects the group but isn't isn't based in like one single singular goal like in a a perspective that doesn't come out as often and you know those are just kind of the key factors i think that make a group of people gel and work well together because they can all kind of take turns at different parts of the cycle there's the planning stage and then that execution stage and the review stage so to have somebody shine in each of those cycles is good and people who want to learn and people who want to teach. So, yeah, that would be my
0: ideal team. Perfect. So that's like uh, someone who's self-motivated, who is uh, self-initiated, who can get things done and is yet a normal person who has a life outside of work, right? So that's uh, that's a perfect balance. Well, uh, your work at uh, Illumivu, I still keep getting the name of that startup wrong. <laughs>
1: it's
0: hard. It's or It's very impressive. Yeah. Uh, what, what is it again?
1: Illumaview.
0: Illu... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you did yeah, it right. I don't think I'm <laughs> going to get it right. But yeah, your work at that startup is very impressive. You helped uh, streamline their customer support, uh, sales, while scaling the business. Uh, can you tell us what was that journey like, especially after Rhetorical, when you had... Uh, so. It, You ended the business, so I I, I didn't understand what happened after Rhetorical.
1: Yeah, Rhetorical Factory, I finished the lease on the store and then kind of took it into hibernation. I didn't sell the brand or anything, but I started Lofty Goals Consulting, and that is kind of where I funneled customers from Rhetorical Factory with business ideas. So I have meetings with them and help them with different phases of their planning. And through that, I was referred to IllumaView, and they were just a two-person company. The founders themselves—one was a psych- is a psychologist, and the other, uh, self-taught software developer, who was actually a jazz student from the School of Berkeley. And uh, so they were a really great company. They had this software that designed for psychologists to be able to do research in a certain type of way that's called momentary assessment. So it's basically like when they would send you home with a paper survey to fill out as you go through your day. Say quitting smoking might be a really good example of how this software could be used. Uh, So I had that company as a consulting client because they had a lot of help desk tickets where people were writing in. And it was just way more than they could handle while still managing the business that they were doing. So I came in and I looked at the help desk tickets and came up with a way to improve their reputation create workflows so that they would be able to hand off that work to somebody that could be a representative for them, who was eventually me at that time. And then I took everything that we learned through those customer interactions and making those customers happy and answering their questions. And I developed an incoming system for new clients, like a training system, so that they would not have as many questions and stumbling blocks. And then we created a plan for feature development for the features that our clients would be most interested over the next few years. And that's how I started with them. We kind of got that under control. And I was so used to working for myself. I was able to do all of this just by myself, automating tasks and just planning my work really well. And eventually I started into their sales component, which they had like an email marketing campaign that they would do. And that's how they brought in new clients. So I took that into a CRM. Like Salesforce isn't what we used, but it's something like that, a customer relationship manager and tracked all of those participating potential clients. So anybody who had like opened that email, I moved the emails that my boss sent individually to people who she thought of as leads and I set that up into like a pipeline where it's automated and and then I set them up with what I did for rhetorical factory which was the landing pages for SEO content and we would make pages to go with the topics that our potential customers were most interested in potentially either using as research or maybe some of the other papers and projects that our tool had been used in before to find out where on the internet people were coming to us from and how we can reach them faster. So it turned out I was able to find all these keywords that were very niche to the industry that were giving us our edge. They were already giving us our competitive SEO edge, but by creating pages that Search terms would lead to forms on our landing pages, then we were able to get even more information and provide more value to potential clients. So we offered them grant writing guides and demos of our project, of our uh, software app, and that ended up causing the sales of the licenses to grow exponentially. And when I did the math, I, turned out over 3000% increase in sales by the time I had gone through an entire year of that cycle of sales. So when I started, that app was making the company less than $50,000 a year. And by the time I was finished, they were on track to make a million that year. So that was an awesome opportunity to work on a team and, and you know, expand something instead of having to print every single shirt, you know, we could sell infinite amounts of the software. And that's where I kind of saw like, oh, I, I am able to, you know, kind of help people find what they're looking for in
0: tech. That's awesome. That's uh the but it's like the fundamentals of right a business. You mentioned uh, how you ensured that there's a pipeline of customers and that allows that cash flow to keep happening and uh, especially after the rhetorical factory and doing something in tech that's so that shows the versatility that you bring in that's uh, that's really cool so at uh, lo- at lofty goals so what are some of the typical asks by potential clients or business owners what do they ask for
1: uh well they often don't know what they want or what exactly they're looking for they're often pretty new to business, but they have this idea. So I help them articulate what they're going for, and I call it a lofty goals meeting. That's one of the most basic types of ways that I help people. I ask them questions about their values, how much time they wanna spend on their project, what kind of resources they wanna put in, and then what they're hoping to get out, like what success would look like. I help them very clearly define what success would look like. Sometimes they end up thinking this idea is more of a side project. Sometimes they end up thinking this is a really useful thing that I think I want to scale. And I want to make a good business plan to try to find investors who agree with me. So we just take it seriously every step of the way. And I've helped people with their businesses that already existed. Like I've helped uh, bring out an apothecary online to where all their items were being sold online and in the store, and their inventory was automatically tracked. I've done a few successful Kickstarter campaigns where I helped uh, write copy and helped the client just think of themselves as a success and articulate the goals really clearly to their followers. Um, I helped with a circus. That was a really interesting kind of alternative like dance focused circus in Asheville, and i help them create a marketing plan and help them with some of their like content writing their slogans and things like that so whenever it comes to creating a track you know helping someone envision where they're going and helping them stay on track basically my lofty goals
0: awesome this is um, you know music to my ears especially when you mentioned that uh, we try and understand what success is for them right when even when i mm-hmm. uh, consult st- with startups and companies in industrial design we're trying to you know set that uh, success metric what does success look for you and uh, is it uh, right now the best time to do something like that and things like that are very essential and it's very clear that uh, with the clients you're working with, uh, the things like how to, you know, uh, validate the product in the market. How can we uh, validate that idea that it can be uh, successful uh, as quickly and uh, fast as possible, especially with your skills in digital marketing. That's again, a, a really cool thing, apart from all the stuff you've done. Well, no. uh, the pandemic hit many businesses. Uh, How was your work affected due to this?
1: Oh, well, actually, I wasn't too affected. Um, I was already working remotely, so I didn't have to really change much of my lifestyle. And I had clients who stopped being able to have meetings because their businesses were on hold, like artists who sold at events, things like that. Um, but I also got some new clients who were reevaluating what they wanted to do and had a business idea that they wanted to talk about. So the pandemic, in in my opinion, it actually just helped people realign their values. So the conversation that I'm having is more, it's starting more on a place of, yeah, let's look at how to change. Whereas before, it wasn't uh, assumed that anything needed to change. So that's the main thing. Um, okay. Although uh, for myself, it has kind of changed the corporate atmosphere, and it's made me interested in working for a corporation or a small business on a team. Um, like the everything I'm seeing about the big resignation, as they call it, and things like that, where companies are more interested in bringing a work-life balance. I can sort of see myself working for somebody else now. So it's changed that as well. So, yeah.
0: Well, that's um, interesting, especially having been an entrepreneur and now um, developing those skills and uh, trying to bring value to the table of bigger corporations. That's awesome. Uh, What are some of the future goals you have envisioned for your company Lofty Goals?
1: I wrote an ebook that I'm still working on formatting. So I am hoping that I can publish that. And I'm really interested to see if it helps people. It's just a written way of how I formulate my own goals and help bring them into fruition. And it's a breakdown of what I do in a Lofty Goals meeting. So I'd love to have something like that, that I already created that was really helpful to people that I could just distribute. Um, I'm also interested in, of course, being more success for my clients who are trying out their business ideas. And I'm interested in learning too. So I guess in the in five years, I'd hope to be pretty close to where I am now, um, maybe with a couple more things published.
0: That's cool. I will look out for the book when it comes out. Hopefully, it's soon. So, uh, well, thank you so much, Bethany, for talking with us today. Um, I have a great ton of uh, notes written down. And uh, it's it's nice to have someone outside uh, my own country once in a while to interview them. Because uh, I'm sure it helps uh, your local community. And we get to learn something about how things work um, on the other side of the planet. So thank you so much uh, for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It's been really great to talk about some of these things and I appreciate your insight and I really appreciate what you're doing with this podcast.